Hello and welcome to another episode of Running the Race podcast. RTR is a ministry of First Baptist Church, Gonzales, Louisiana, striving to provide a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To learn more about who we are and what we believe, head over to our website, fbcg.net. There you can access more episodes of our podcast, listen to sermons and services, or use some other great resources that we make available over at the site. Our speakers today are Jim Law, Senior Pastor of FBCG, and our Minister to Students, Alex Ray. In today's episode, we come to the fourth and final section of Life on the Altar by Pastor Jim. Alex and Jim discuss how altar living is focused on the spread of the gospel, how we should view the world through the lens of Acts 1-8, how life on the altar brings about gospel unity, and the ultimate destiny of this altar life, the throne of God above. This is Alex Ray, and I'm joined by Jim Law, who has recently published a book called Life on the Altar, with the subtitle, The Life That We Are Called to Live. And Jim, this is our fourth podcast, walking through the outline of this book. And so Romans 12 has been the, the driving text, uh, the conversation of this of this book, and I'm reminded of the, the 40, 30, 20 um, outline that you that you kind of talked about off and on, where you've you've been a believer for forty years, you've been you've been thirty years to pastor here at First Baptist Gonzalez, and then also twenty years serving and uh, leading pastors uh, around the world, and being able to take the gospel in in really hostile places um, around the world. And so this last uh, part you've titled uh, "Presenting Ourselves to God for the Advance of the Gospel." So, Jim, as we start to land the plane on this book, what it, what was your purpose that you had in mind as you wrote this last part? Well, following the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, which uh, we focused uh, parts 1, 2, and 3 on the content in Romans 12, I enlarged this last section to include the remaining chapters because Paul is wanting to mobilize uh, this church, wanting to be connected with them in such a way that they would support his uh, mission efforts to Spain, which he mentions in chapter 15. And so he he sought to guide the church at Rome, uh, which he didn't plant. Uh, So you have the longest introduction of any of his letters in Romans Romans 1, to this church to be a ministry partner for his missionary effort, efforts beyond um, the, you know, Rome to Spain and, and, and beyond even that. So right. by the time uh, Paul writes, uh, the church had already been in existence for some time, and you have the cultural dynamics of Jew and Gentile in the same body. And Paul appeals for unity, and once again, I would mention, Alex, that nearly a third of the one another commands in the New Testament are in Romans 12 through 16. Wow. And, um, you know, just so uh, this final um, section, part four, has three chapters, viewing the world through an Acts 1-8 concentric, which is chapter 14. And I open with a fictitious story between Jesus and the angel Gabriel, where Gabriel acknowledges that Christ had completed his saving work Mm -hmm. and had ascended back into heaven. And S.D. Gordon captures this uh, dialogue as uh, uh, Gabriel inquires, you know, what, what are your plans in light of this incredible redemption you've just purchased and accomplished and and Jesus said, well, I, I've, I've left Peter and James and John and others to tell others who will tell others. And Gabriel is just, you know, having been dispatched to earth <laughs> on God's assignment in the past, 
is not real comforted by that because he knows the frailty of the human condition and and what it's like here. And so uh, he he presses, he hesitates awkwardly and presses Jesus, yes, Lord, but suppose that Peter fails. What if John simply doesn't follow through and tell others? What if they are overcome by distraction or despair? And what if they just don't do it? What other plans have you made? And Jesus' quiet, wondrous voice said to his trusted messenger, Gabriel, I haven't made any other plans. And so we see God's sovereign power on display through the spread of the gospel from the first century till now. Hmm. And uh, just looking at one of those sections, uh, one, of, one, of, one of those verses in particular in Acts 1-8, where Jesus speaks of his disciples being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Is that the idea where you get in this concentric circle framework? It's from that verse? Yes, and that we we have a Jerusalem of our own where we live and move and have our being, and we live the, the majority of our life. And yet, as a Christian, I need to be looking outward uh, to where the gospel flows from this church to the ends of the earth. I think that's faithfulness to what Christ has called his church to be and to do. So the Great Commission, every believer is called to obey it. And wanting to recapture this Acts 1-8 worldview, where it began in Jerusalem and spread out even to us uh, 21 centuries later. So you might be able to say for us that even though obviously we're in America, but we have our, our Jerusalem, which is the city that we live in now, and then we work outward to city, to parish, to state to you know that that a proper way of, of looking at that yeah i think so yes that we are part of obeying the commission of christ left to his disciples including us is that we're, we're making disciples of all nations um, and i i think that um, the reports are not good concerning an awareness of that among god's people i remember back in the 90s i read a little book by paul borthwick Six Dangerous Questions to transfer, Transform Your View of the World. And he noted a National Geographic uh, advertisement uh, that 24 million Americans can't find our country on a map of the world. That's just astonishing. Actually, it's hard for me to believe that. It, for me as well. Cannot find the, you know, America on a map of the world. And I, I followed up on that uh, for this chapter. And recent studies uh, indicate that... Little has changed. Right. There's a just an unawareness that uh, permeates the American mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, missions is a critical focus for the church. It certainly was on the Apostle Paul's mind. I think it's part of life uh, on the altar. I saw even this week, I think David Platt put online, 3.2 million, or billion, I'm sorry, 3.2 billion in the world have not heard the name of Jesus. Right. And that just won't do. And I think you're, you know, as you keep walking through this chapter, you talk about um, one of the reasons it might, this is likely because the church has misplaced priorities. And so we're not prioritizing the right thing, which is um, contributing to this problem. And you share a really colorful, I, I love this story uh, about Spurgeon. Uh, what, what, what's this story about Spurgeon? That, would you mind sharing that? Spurgeon, in, in his autobiography, tells the story about how his grandmother promised him a penny for every hymn of Isaac Watts he could present perfectly. Mm -hmm. Well, he had a photographic memory, <laughs> and it brought his grandmother into a financial crisis. She had to lower you know, the amount that she was paying, 
And in time, Spurgeon talks about um, a lucrative distraction because his grandfather's farm was overrun with rats. And he promised more money for a dozen rats that he could kill. And so Spurgeon gave up him learning for rat killing. And after some retrospection, uh, Spurgeon concluded, the hymns have remained with me while those old rats for years have passed away. And the shillings I earned by killing them have been spent long ago. Yeah. Which is, I think, insightful as we, in the Christian life, often Christians are not dealing so much with the difference between doing evil and good, although we're perfectly capable of, of that. But often the choice for us is between good and best or good and excellent. Paul wrote to the Philippians, uh, proving what is excellent under the Lord. And so here, who would argue that the eradication of rats is a pretty important priority, but you can in, invest in things that on the surface scream for our attention, but nevertheless are not best. And so that's what I'm really trying to go, go for is that we're, that our lives are poured out in such a way that we are making the most out of what God said is I think about one of the ministries we have here at FBC is Bible drill. And that came to mind as I was reading this about Spurgeon, you know, one of the benefits, many benefits of something like Bible drill is that our students and our youth and our children are memorizing scripture and how important that is and how that's going to remain, ideally, it's going to remain with them year down the road, even when they maybe graduate and go on to college and adulthood. I remember some time ago, one of our college students during our Bible study uh, I mentioned uh, a, not at a totally obscure reference, but definitely not one you're not going to, you know, life where you're not selling artwork with, with whatever reference this mm -hmm. was. But I mentioned it, and the student was able to quote it from memory. Mm -hmm. And I, I was kind of, I was honestly kind of caught off guard by it. And I asked them, you know, how do they know that? How do they remember that? And they said they, they learned it in Bible drill. And so it's just thinking about, again, what you just said about how best to spend our time and having priorities. Yes, there are important things to be sure, but. We, we want to be people of the book. And I, I just, I was challenged and encouraged by which version. And I said that you know, the, rat, the money I made, that's long gone. Right. But the, the hymns, the, the scriptural truths are, are still there. Yeah. And Alex, there's part of me as a pastor. This church is 115 years old. You know, I realize that I'm enjoying water from wells I didn't dig. Right. And one of the, legacies and this church church's history has been a commitment to missions. We're, we're not a big church. Uh, I think we have 350 covenant members. And yet I'm thankful that as a medium or, or smaller church that we can pursue obedience. And I've just been amazed through the years of, uh, of the mission trips and the mission, mission sending from this uh, congregation and wanting to obey Acts 1-8. Yeah, we want, we want to be faithful here. We sponsoring a church plan in New Orleans. We have commitment with our partners in Baton Rouge and, and then ex expanding outwardly to East Asia and other places um, has been one of the most thrilling parts of, of serving the Lord here. And missions begats missions. Mm -hmm. By being committed to this, you develop partnerships and fellowship with other believers for the spread of the gospel that you wouldn't otherwise know. You know, I think of Adoniram Judson and his biography was had a profound impact on my life back in 1998 when I read it. When I think of life on the altar, I, I think of his life and ministry. And just thinking back, Alex, uh, 
you know, 200 years ago in Salem, Massachusetts, when he and his wife, they were both in their early 20s, set sail. I imagine people on the wharf that day weren't thinking, wow, that's a great deposit. Right. You know, they're never going to make it, I think was probably uh, the thought back in the early 1800s. And yet they gave their life there. He had three wives, two of them died. Uh, A number of children died, but he labored six, seven years before the first convert, developed a grammar system to put the Bible into Burmese as a labor of love. Mm -hmm. It was there 33 years before he came home. These are noble, courageous uh, demonstration of, you know, commitment to Christ. So fast forward with me from 200 years ago to uh, Gonzales, Louisiana, where we have Sylvester Wilson from our church, who's the uh, over who was the overseer of the Seafair Center, and he goes down to the Mississippi River and he picks up sailors and brings them back to the center they have there in the Walmart parking lot to uh, buy supplies and use the internet and other things. And Sylvester inv- engages the captain, who's from Myanmar, Burma, mm-hmm. and. He, he shares with Sylvester, yeah, my wife's a Christian, and I'm so thankful for you know, their commitment to the Bible, and, and began to talk about the legacy of Adoniram Judson. Right. And you, know, you just think of a mustard seed being sown and the ripple effect of faithfulness to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an incredible story. And I was thinking, I've been thinking about this a little bit more lately over the past couple of weeks, that you know, we may not ever see the fruit or the results of the labor of ministry that you can, you know, like obviously Justin didn't, could never maybe have imagined what would have happened, you know, as a result of all those years. And so likewise, we may not ever see the result, but that's okay. We're not, we should call to be faithful. And and then we leave God with the results. We leave God uh, to, to do the little, to take the little that we have to offer and and multiply it. what an encouragement for the christian life right. for, to every parent you know to sow the seed of god's word and the gospel into their children and and to trust law, the lord to to honor his word and right. ultimately that's what we're in the world to do right is right. to and it's liberating too because yeah. that means that the success of it isn't in our hands mm. how crushing that would be um to say in the sense of if every time i were to share my faith if i believe that the person conversion or lack thereof is because I wasn't smooth enough or clever enough or articulate enough or whatever standard I want to come up with, it would be so crushing. I would be devastated. Mm. But but if I'm able to share my faith in the in a cohesive and clear way, then I leave then I then I share the gospel and I and I leave it with God. And it really is a, a corrective to the celebrity mentality in the evangelical church where more bigger, brighter lights and mm-hmm. how often we see um, the picture of a basin of water and a towel as the significant ministry. And so, yeah. And then you have uh, chapter 15, um, which is you titled Gospel Unity and the Sending Power of God, mm-hmm. which I think flows nicely out of the previous chapter. And what was your focus on in, the, in this one? Right, the importance of of the church being united for gospel impact, and Paul is wanting to unite the the Roman church, uh, wanting to to be connected with them, to be sent. And Satan is always sowing seeds of discord among God's people. 
And the evil one always seeks to derail the church from worship and witness. We shouldn't be surprised of that, how often his strategies are identified in, in Paul's writings, other places, Second Corinthians and Ephesians 6. So unity will always be hard work for God's people. In John 17, Jesus prayed for the unity of his, of his people more than any other request, that we would be one. And so in Romans 15, Paul revealed his plans that, that needed support in order for him to complete them. And uh, he, he speaks about the, the, the urgency to, to be unified in, in, the, in gospel efforts. And I, I, I imagine in Paul's mind, there was a reflection back to when his missionary service began, back to the church at Antioch when he and Barnabas were paired, paired together. And they served the Lord there, and Acts 11, 19 through 26, you know, just gives an expose, insight into this great church. And so I spend this chapter really looking at the church at Antioch and the importance of gospel unity and the sending power of God. There are so many divisions in the, in the church right now, um, some of them significant doctrinal issues. Some of them uh, major major wounds for different cultural positions, and so I, I just would urge us really to to go back and the at the risk of sounding simplistic with a raging debate um, that we would come back to simple doctrine rooted in the gospel and contend earnestly for for the faith delivered to God's people. Sure. So yeah. there's a, a triage and how that goes on. There's no doctrine that's unimportant. But uh, to really look for like-minded believers to be able to obey this um, this command and to major on the majors, yeah, and, and to focus on gospel essentials, and then have friendly, well-intentioned, good intention, good faith discussion about peripheral issues, and with, with the best and in, the best interest of the other person in mind. Yes, not trying to slam dunk, mm-hmm. not trying to to put other people down, but to have a a real, legitimate conversation. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, chapter 16, uh, you close the book, um, and, and you titled this chapter, uh, Before the Throne of God Above. Right. And that, that's a uh, beautiful image there. Um, but how, how, did you, how are you intending to, how, what, how do you decide to, to close this book out? Right. Of all the chapters, this one, um, I think, just brings it together for me is probably my favorite, my favorite chapter, because life on the altar has a destiny. And I close the book with a glimpse of heaven which I feel like has become colorless and uh, with believers. Uh, I mentioned, you know, like an air conditioner in the heat of summer that's low on Freon. It's just not, it's just not refreshing when believers talk about heaven. So I'm not interested in these extraordinary tales about how somebody went to heaven. I'm wanting to recover the robust biblical description of heaven Found in Revelation and, and other sections of Scripture, we look at uh, we begin the chapter by talking about how heaven's been trivialized. And some years ago, I I did a series of messages on on heaven and just doing the background for that. Just saw how heaven is trivialized. I mean, there's a uh, there's a nightclub in Seattle called Heaven, hmm. uh, Burger Heaven. Disney weighs in. Certainly, all dogs go to heaven. Brian Adams, uh, the rocker, you know, emotes in one of his rock anthems that heaven is having his girlfriend in his arms. Mm. And so you have all these 
ideas of heaven, it's become trivialized, where it's become almost enshrined in the American mind that everybody goes except the really bad people. Sure. Which is certainly not what Jesus said. Who He said, wide and broad's the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are who find it. And he's that narrow way. So um, even John 3.16 speaks of a perishing so everything, what I'm wanting us to see is that as we read the New Testament, life on the altar, a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that our union with Christ, everything precious to the believers there, uh, our fathers in heaven, our saviors in heaven, fellow believers in, in Christ are in heaven. And I share a very personal account of Steve McQueen who battled COVID-19 and walking through that whole experience with his wife, Rosemary, who's a dear sister in our body. I remember uh, as we prayed for weeks and as he languished under the cadence of the, of the ventilator and our prayers were not answered the way we wanted them to be answered, Alex. And I remember the the funeral was a graveside service because <laughs> Not only were we battling COVID, but adding insult to injury and pain, we had a hurricane roaring at us at the time. And so we had a graveside service. And as we gathered at the cemetery and the casket of this beloved brother was brought to the freshly dug grave, I remember spontaneous singing breaking out uh, from Rosemary and the family and the rest of us joined them as they sang, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, or my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. And so there was a baptism of the Lord's comfort at Steve's graveside that day. And yeah, I remember receiving a text uh, a year later from Rosemary, and she um, messaged me, he left our home by ambulance a year ago tomorrow. And that day stands out in my mind as the last day we spoke face to face. God's timing is always perfect. And um, it was a message typed with a broken heart, but not without hope in a future reunion around the throne of God. And a reminder that even at the graveside, resurrection is our song. That is our hope. And that altar life leads to the presence of God where we will do there perfectly what we do here uh, far less than perfect, perfect worship, perfect rest, perfect work, perfect adventure. All of these things um, God has prepared for his people, and he's gathering a people for his name. And so until that day, um, really it's a call to meet at the altar, the altar of God's presence through the finished work of Jesus Christ and to find his mercy and strength to live the life he's called us to live. And that leads us uh, really into the, the last section of your book, which is the epilogue. And, um, and you, you mentioned a, a, um, a, a moment that you and fellow, fellow elder uh, Russ Copeland had when you were traveling in Connecticut. Um, what, what, what was significant about uh, that moment? Russ and I were in Connecticut in July, 2021, uh, Five miles away from Enfield, Connecticut, my, you know, my attention perked up, uh, just having a little knowledge of Jonathan Edwards, 
and that our hi- our hotel was five miles away from a stone marker, Alex, on Highway 5, which marked the location of the meeting house of the First Church of Christ there. And so at that location on July 8th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached to his congregation perhaps the most popular sermon in American history, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the sermon was a catalyst for the first Great Awakening, which swept across our country and with a ripple effect to other parts of the world. And so as Russ and I stood before this marker, we just prayed, Lord, would you visit our generation with power? Would you awaken our generation for a fresh hearing of the gospel and that your word would run to to needy hearts? And just really the weariness of religious games and gimmicks um, and a call for us to take seriously you know, the power and the force of what we've read in Romans 12 and looked at over this book, throughout this book. And I close with um, Jeremiah's lament. I finished writing Life on the Altar in the August of 2021, and I was reminded of a statement Jeremiah made, um, Jeremiah 820, the harvest is past, the summer is over, and we're not saved. And it really was a lament of God's people who had, they had known they had missed an opportunity to respond to God's grace and mercy and just really um, kind of focus on uh, the urgency to, to follow Christ now, to present ourselves to him as living sacrifices now, and to, to follow him in obedience um, as he has commanded. So I close with a statement by Jim Boyce. He wrote a, a little book on hymns for a modern reformation. Since grace is the source of the life that is mine, and faith is a gift from on high, I'll boast in my Savior, I'll merit decline, and glorify God till I die. And so that's really my heart in this book, is that it would be an encouragement to God's people uh, to seek Him together. Well, Jim, I, um, I'm so grateful that you wrote this. It really encouraged me. Um, enjoy reading it and talking through uh, through it with you over these past few few episodes and and for those who are listening we do uh, again want to um, let you know that the book was released uh, this past February 1st uh, it's on Amazon it's available both in paperback and also on Kindle and it's available at uh, Barnes and Noble too is that right yeah that's correct I also mentioned Alex we're looking um, at having a study guide completed uh, this spring. And also we're working on an audio uh, version of the book. Very nice. Very nice. And so we hope that you will consider picking up a copy for both yourself and perhaps some friends. Um, And uh, we would love to hear your feedback on it as well. We hope that it will bless you tremendously. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Alex. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race podcast. To find out more information about our church and our ministry or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcasts, a positive review would really help us out a lot. Thanks for taking the time to do that. If you found the podcast to be interesting and helpful, recommending us to a friend or family member that you think would benefit from listening would be great. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.